0: Friend, as some of you already know, this program is financially supported 100% by love gifts from listeners like yourself. So please, would you help us with a donation so that we can produce more programs and bless others? We need your financial support. To make a one-time donation, visit our website, drruthtonyi.org. That's D-R, R-U-T-H t-a-n-y-i dot o-r-g look for the donation button and donate right there. It is a very secure, simple and easy process. Or for more of an impact, would you prayerfully consider becoming a Christ centered monthly partner with us? While on our website you will find all of the information about becoming a Christ centered partner. As a monthly partner, your regular prayers and financial support will enable us to produce more Bible teachings in order to reach more people and transform their lives with God's Word. For those of you who prefer regular email, you can send your donation to us. Here's the address. Dr. Ruth Tiny Ministries, P.O. Box 1806, Loma Linda, California, 92354. You can also email us with your questions about becoming a partner. Here's the email address, info at drruthtanyi.org, that's I-N-F-O at D-R-R-U-T-H-T-A-N-Y-I dot O-R-G, or you can always call us at 909-383-7978. Dr. Ruth Tanye Ministries is a federal government-approved 501c corporation, which means that all of your donations are 100% tax-deductible, as allowed by the law. We thank you in advance for your kind donation and prayers.
1: And we continue here in Chapter 17. What is the gist of this chapter? In this chapter, the Lord would uh, give further instructions About selecting a king to rule over them if they want a king. And the Lord would give further instructions about justice. So let's take a closer look at some of these uh, verses. Deuteronomy chapter 17 verse 1. Do not sacrifice to the Lord your God an ox or a sheep that has any defect or flaw in it for that would be detestable to him. Again, we see Moses reminding them to only sacrifice a perfect animal to the Lord. Again, foreshadowing Christ Jesus. Verse 2. If a man or a woman living among you in one of the towns the Lord gives you is found doing evil in the eyes of the Lord your God in violation of his covenant. Verse 3. And contrary, to my command has worshipped other gods, bowing down to them or to the sun or the moon or the stars in the sky. And this has been brought to your attention. Then you must investigate it thoroughly. Again, we see the Lord warning them again. Moses is reiterating to this second generation the seriousness of false prophets in their, in their midst. The seriousness of one of their fellow brothers or sisters leading them astray. The Lord is saying that if such a rumor is present, a thorough investigation must be carried out. And if it is found to be true that this man or a woman among you is, is leading others to a false god, In verse 5, we are told the consequence. Take the man or woman who has done this evil deed to your city gate and stone that person to death. So the the punishment was a final punishment of death. This was so serious. The Lord was not going to allow anyone to deceive the Israelites into worshiping any other God except him, the true living God. Any person who does that was to be put to death. In verse 6, however, the Lord is giving condition how this has to be carried out. On the testimony of two or three witnesses, a person is to be put to death. So if a rumor is spreading that somebody is worshiping a false god or leading others to worship a false god, the Lord is saying that An investigation has to be carried out. Two to three witnesses must attest to this evil thing. Only after two to three witnesses have attested that this is true, can capital punishment be carried out. We see the justice of God. This was protective for both the accuser, okay, and as we will learn in verse 7 that... The hands of the witnesses must be the first one to kill the person. So this was both protecting the accuser and the witnesses. What do I mean by that? The accuser, because two to three witnesses must be present to confirm before the accuser is sentenced to death. Because just a single witness could just say something out of hatred and a person could be put to death. So by having two to three witnesses, this is protecting the accused person. That way it is made certain by multiple witnesses that the accused person truly is guilty of leading others to worship a false god. It is only after A couple of witnesses have affirmed it. Can the accuser be put to death? Then in verse 7, the witnesses are the ones to put the accuser to death. I.e., they are the ones to first throw the stones to the accuser to kill the accuser. Think about this. If the witnesses are the first ones to throw a stone to kill somebody, Don't you think that if there were false witnesses, they would think twice about killing somebody? See, that is a principle here. That you who are the witnesses are the first ones to throw the stone to kill the person who is practicing evil deeds. And the Lord went on to say, you must purge the evil from among you. And I had explained that already. How... Capital punishment was mandatory so that others would not emulate that behavior and some of these people could not be changed. So the final judgment was death. The wages of sin is death. And also just to highlight the concept of witnesses, that is truly the justice and the fairness of God. And today in the New Testament... God will still judge people upon their death based on three major witnesses. The first witness is the testimony of Jesus Christ, his ministry, his death, and resurrection. The Lord would use that witness or testimony of Jesus Christ to judge people. Because there are many people who have listened to the gospel message of Jesus Christ and they are ignoring it. So that is the first witness. The second witness is the Holy Spirit which is currently present in the world convicting the world of sin, righteousness and judgment. Convicting people, i.e. unbelievers to repent of their sinful ways. That is the second witness that the Lord has. And the third one, which is obvious, is just nature. And by nature, I am referring to God's creation. Okay? The galaxies, the trees. When people see God's creation, they know intuitively that there is a God. And people's consciences. We are told this in the New Testament, Romans chapter 1. Our consciences, nature, look at at nature, look at the mountains, the trees, how did this happen? So those are the three witnesses that the Lord would use to judge people because there are people who would say, well, what about that person there who died and never heard of the Lord Jesus? Well, they had a conscience, they have nature, okay? Because nature shouts, the presence of God, people have evidence of God running about them. People truly have no excuse. So, like I said before, there is no true atheist. All those who claim to be atheists have just made a willful rejection of God. Because God has placed eternity at the heart of all human beings. Everyone knows there is a God. But people choose to reject that. But God will judge people based on the witness of nature, their conscience, the testimony of Jesus Christ, And the work of the Holy Spirit so we have to keep that in mind so we come to verse 8 in fact verses 8 all the way to verse 13 would talk about judging lawsuits among the Israelites and the Lord would give the Israelites through Moses specific instructions how lawsuits were to be judged. So let's take a closer look at some of these verses here beginning with verse 8. If cases come before your courts that are too difficult for you to judge whether bloodshed lawsuits or assaults take them to the place the Lord your God will choose. Verse 9. Go to the Levitical priest and to the judge who is in office at that time, inquire of them and they will give you the verdict. So we see Moses telling the second generation Israelites how they have to take heed to the verdict verdict, or decision of the priest who would be in church at that time. And the judge. Uh, So the Israelites were to honor and obey the uh, verdict or decision that a priest or judge would give them. And they must abide by that. Obviously, the Lord is giving the priest and the judge so much power and authority to implement his laws. So we come to verse 10. That is just what I was saying. That the people must act in accordance with the decisions that the priest or judge would uh, give them upon hearing their cases. Verse 11, Moses went on to tell them that they should act according to whatever the priest and the judge would teach them in uh, settling the dispute. And in verse 12, they are warned that anyone who shows contempt for the judge or for the priest who stands ministering the laws of God, that person would be put to death. And in verse 13, the Lord went on to say that all the people will hear and be afraid and will not be contemptuous again. This may sound too harsh. But you have to understand, like I said previously, the nation of Israel back then was a theocracy, meaning that there was no separation between the state laws and religious laws. So the country was governed by the laws of God, given to Moses, who later on taught them, And now he is teaching the second generation Israelites to pass on these laws. So these laws also involved civic laws, spiritual laws, moral laws, laws pertaining to every aspect of life because God truly was the one governing them. So if the Israelites were to disobey the decision or decisions of the priest or the judge appointed by the Lord, in essence, the Israelites or that individual would be disobeying the laws of God. Did you get that? Because the judges and the priests were there just to apply the laws from God. So disobeying them is essentially Disobeying the Lord, which was why the final outcome would be death. And in verse 13, we are told how the Lord would punish them by death. That way he would set an example for copycats. That is uh, how serious this was. All right, just like today, the police people are to impose the laws of the land, the laws of the federal government, depending on where you live. And anyone who would violate the police or the laws would be taken to the courts, and the judiciary system would punish them in accordance with the laws of the land. And that could mean imprisonment or certain fines. It's a similar situation, except here, the nation of Israel, uh, where to act in accordance with God's laws okay we come to verse 14 and verses 14 all the way to the end of this chapter which is verse 20 will discuss guidelines or regulations for a king in the event that the nation of Israel decides that they wanted a king to rule over them So this is like hypothetical situation that the Lord would tell Moses to tell them that when they get into the promised land and they decide that they want to have a king to rule over them, just like the other nations do, here are the regulations that they would have to go by in selecting a king. So let us take a closer look at some of these verses. I mean, this is really awesome how the Lord anticipated, obviously, he knows all things. He knew that these people would someday ask for a king. So in advance, he is already answering their prayer in advance. Wow. Just like today, God answers our prayers even before the problem or the calamity hits us. But we just have to discern (laughs) that the Lord has already taken care of that problem. And we just have to walk by faith. This is what is happening here. The Lord would lay down instructions when they get into the promised land. When they decide that they want a king, all they had to do was to apply these instructions by faith and trust God. Okay. Verse 14. Let us read this out loud. When you enter the land the Lord your God is giving you and have taken possession of it and you settled in it, and you say, Let us set a king over us like all the nations around us. Verse 15 Be sure to appoint over you a king the Lord your God chooses. You see, the Lord instructing them. But even though you may have this desire to choose a leader, let me choose it for you because I know all things. Use godly wisdom. Trust me. Okay. He must be from among your fellow Israelites. Of course, the Lord went on to say that the king has to be a fellow Jew. And they should not have a foreigner rule over them. Obviously, the foreigner would be pagan. The foreigner would not know the true living God. So that was one criteria there off the bat, which makes sense. Just like you would not want an unbeliever. (laughs) Oh, boy. Just like the Apostle uh, Paul teaches us under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. He was telling the Corinthians that they should not have an unbeliever judge them. If they are having lawsuits among them, why would they go to an unbeliever judge to judge them? They should settle that in the church. This is a similar thing here where we should not allow unbelievers to judge cases among us Christians because the unbelievers are blind, obviously. Verse 16, the king, moreover, must not acquire great numbers of horses for himself or make The people return to Egypt to get more of them. Again, we see how the Lord is setting boundaries here. The king must not allow the people to go back to Egypt where they were once slaves. And the king must not focus on material possession. Obviously, like I said before, financial blessings, prosperity has the potential to blind some people. And to, uh, what's, what's the word here? To derail them away from the Lord. So we have to guard against that. Verse 17, he must, referring to the king now, he must not take many wives or his heart will be led astray. So powerful, so true. He must not accumulate large amounts of silver and gold. Just what I was saying. Going back to the beginning of verse 17 there, he must not take many wives or his heart will be led astray. So true. And when we get to 1 Kings, we will learn how unfortunately King Solomon, who was supposed to be the wisest man, was led astray because he had hundreds, hundreds of wives. And unfortunately, those wives turned his heart away from the true living God and he got into idolatry and towards the later years of his life, he was miserable. But we see how the Lord had already pre-warned the Israelites. Obviously, King Solomon did not heed to this advice and he suffered major consequences. We will learn that when we get there. And I had already talked about uh, silver and gold, i.e. representing Financial wealth, which can dull some people's heart and derail them away from the true living God. So the Lord was warning them against these two things. Verse 18 This is powerful. When he, referring to the king, takes the throne of his kingdom, he is to write for himself on a scroll a copy of this law taken from that of the Levitical priest. Verse 19, it is to be with him and he is to read it all the days of his life so that he may learn to revere the Lord his God and follow carefully all the words of this law and these decrees. Verse 20, and not consider himself better than his fellow Israelites and turn from the law to the right or to the left. Then he and his descendants will reign a long time over his kingdom in Israel. This is so crucial because back then, the common people, the laity, did not have access or possession of the law. Only the priests and the Levites had the law of Moses handy because they were the ones called and anointed by the Lord to teach their fellow Israelite, But here we see the Lord giving specific instructions that the king should have the law at his possession. That way he would meditate on it day and night and use the wisdom in the law to rule as a king. Because without the word of God Without the king meditating on the laws and decrees of God, he would go astray and he would become incompetent to rule the people as unto the Lord. So true. And um, just goes to show you that even today, when we have leaders or presidents who try to govern or rule the people apart from the Lord, it ends up in disaster. We know that. God knows all things. So the best way to, to to rule as a king or as a leader, obviously, is really applying godly principles and decrees which are laid out. In his word because the Bible covers every area of life, every area of government, every area of relationship, family life. It is the source of life. So we have enough instructions here that can help rule a country and make a country successful. So that is really what the Lord is saying, that if a country is not governed by godly principles, that country will not succeed. And we agree. Okay, I won't talk much about politics, okay, so I better just move on. All right, so that brings me to the end of chapter 17, and I get right into chapter 18 here. What is the gist of this chapter? In chapter 18, we will learn a further explanation about offerings uh, pertaining to the priests. And the Levites and further revelation about staying away from the occult or witchcraft. And more about the prophet. So let us get into some verses here. Beginning with verse 1. I am in Deuteronomy chapter 18. As Moses continues to expound or to explain more about the law to the second generation Israelites. Okay, Deuteronomy chapter 18 verse 1. Let's read this out loud. The Levitical priests, indeed, the whole tribe of Levi, are to have no allotment or inheritance with Israel. They shall live on the food offerings presented to the Lord, for that is their inheritance. Verse 2, they shall have no inheritance among their fellow Israelites. The Lord is their inheritance as he promised them we had talked about this all over in the book of leviticus and even in the book of numbers that the the levitical priest okay were not to own property they were to feed off the offerings from the community from what the israelite community would bring to the sanctuary And I had talked about that this is God's best system to care for his priests. Back then, they called them Levitical priests. Today, we have priests, we have ministers, we have pastors. These are all people that work for God, teaching his laws or teaching his word to others. Back then, the Levitical priests were considered lawyers. Not lawyers like we have today. But they were considered lawyers to administer the laws of God and they could not work outside the sanctuary. They could not own property. They really had to know the laws for themselves to teach others. Today we have ministers, priests, pastors who dedicate countless amount of time. They have dedicated their lives to study the word of God, to be Bible teachers priest ministers these principles still apply a a pastor minister priest still has to depend on the offerings of the church to feed him or her family i have talked about this over and over again god loves a cheerful giver we should give wholeheartedly to support the ministers the pastors and the priest who teach us how to live godly lifestyle lifestyles rather that would be honoring the Lord. Okay, we go here to verse 3. The Lord went on to just say how the sacrifices that the people would bring to the uh, sanctuary would belong to the Levitical priest. Verse 4 talks about the first fruits of their grain, their new one and the olive oil all would go to the Levitical priest. Verse 5 says, For the Lord your God has chosen them and their descendants out of all your tribes to stand and minister in the Lord's name. Always, just like what I was saying. And then uh, verses 6 through 8 went on to say that even in the event that a Levitical priest travels from town to town, they still have the same privilege. They can still administer or teach God's laws, and they should still get the same benefit from the people such as they should still depend on the people's sacrifices, their offerings, to take care of themselves. And that is really what is stated there in verse 8. He is to share equally in their benefits even though he has received money from the sale of family possessions. That is pertaining to a Levitical priest who travels from tribe to tribe or from town to town. They still have the same benefits as a priest to depend on the gifts and offerings of the fellow Israelites to take care of themselves. We come to verse 9. Verses 9 all the way to verse 13 is really reiterating about staying away from the occult, okay, from witchcraft, from idolatry. We see the Lord uh, telling Moses to tell the second generation Israelites, insisting that they should flee from uh, these types of practices. Obviously, they were heading to the land of Canaan. In which the people there practice witchcraft and idolatry. So we see Moses warning them continuously not to do that. So let us take a closer look at some of these verses. Verse 9. When you enter the land the Lord your God is given you, do not learn to imitate the detestable ways of the nations there. Verse 10. Let no one be found among you who sacrifices their son or daughter in the fire, who practices divination or sorcery, interprets omens, engages in witchcraft. Did you get that? This is self-explanatory. I don't even need to teach on this. This is so clear. God doesn't want us, his children, to be delving with the occult. You would be. Delving in the territory of Satan, you would be directly opening your life for Satan to come in there and devour you and your family. Boy, this is so true today. Because we have so-called Christians who want to go to a psychic. That is considered witchcraft. That is considered sorcery. Because you would just be opening the door for Satan. Don't even do it. Boy, you have the Holy Spirit indwelling you. You know the truth in your born-again spirit. You have the word of God. In your born-again spirit, you have patience, long-suffering, endurance, faithfulness. That is out of Galatians uh, 5, 22 through 23. The uh, fruit of the Spirit plus love and kindness and meekness, you can go look at that. But the principle here is that in your born-again spirit, you have self-control. You have the ability to be patient and wait on the Lord to reveal to you whatever you are seeking him for. You do not need to go to a psychic. Don't do that. That would be gross disrespect for the Lord. And he would turn his back against you and the enemy would devour you. Okay, verse 12, anyone who does these things is detestable to the Lord. Just like what I had been saying and the rest of that verse went on to say that because the nations that the Israelites were going to possess, i.e. the the Canaanites, the Hittites, they practiced all this witchcraft, sorcery, idolatry, so the Israelites were not to engage in such behaviors. Verse 13, you must be blameless before the Lord your God. The same thing, the the unbelievers in today's era, the pagan people go to psychics. We should not do that kind of stuff. That is a disgrace to the name of Christianity. So if you engage in this, stop it. Please stop it and really evaluate. If you have truly, truly confessed Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, And if you have not, then maybe you can do that. But if you have, just learn to be patient and trust the Holy Spirit to guide you to all truths because that is why you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God, to lead you, guide you into all truths and to illuminate scriptures to you and to give you revelation. You don't need no psychic who would give you false information, who would derail you, who would, who would cause the enemy, Satan, to come into your house and kill you? You don't need that. Okay, verses 14 all the way to the end of this chapter would we'll talk about a true prophet. Let us uh, take a look at some of these verses. In verse 14, there, uh, Moses just went on to explain how the nations that the Israelites were going to. Dispose, like I said, the Canaanite, the Hittites, practice witchcraft. So the Israelites should not engage in such behaviors as that would be dishonoring the true living God. So we come to verse 15, verses 15 till the end, which is verse 22. We talk about a prophet and just a little background here. I had mentioned this earlier, we talked about this in the book of Exodus, how God appeared to the whole assembly of Israelites at Horeb. He appeared in a theophany to talk to them. They heard his voice. They became afraid. They uh, went prostrate, screaming to Moses that they are afraid to hear the voice of the living God, that Moses should go hear the voice of God himself, then come tell them what the Lord has said. So so like I said earlier, at least based on on that incident, it appears that God's choice to communicate with His chosen people, the Israelite, was through a Theophany, face to face, but they themselves, due to uh, abnormal fear, rejected that, and they sent Moses to go and listen to the voice of God himself and then relate to them what the Lord would say. So what these verses will tell us is that Moses would remind the second generation Israelites that remember how you guys did not want to hear the voice of God directly, how you sent me to go hear the voice of God and come and relate to you. Now, and then you, the Israelites, said you wanted somebody else to represent God on your behalf. Well, the Lord would choose a prophet after I am gone. So Moses is telling them that, reassuring them that after I am dead, God would send a prophet that would speak God's heart to you people. So that is a background of what these few verses are telling us. I just had to give you a little background there. So let us take a look at some of these verses. Beginning here in verse 15. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you from your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. Verse 16, for this is what you asked of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, Let us not hear the voice of the Lord our God, nor see his great uh, fire anymore, or we will die. Remember, that is exactly what I was just explaining there. Verse 17, the Lord said to me, What they say is good. Verse 18, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their fellow Israelites and I will put my words in his mouth. He will tell them everything I commanded him. So you see in these verses, just what I had explained, how the Lord agreed with the Israelites who were afraid to hear his voice and the Lord said, okay, what they are saying, I accept. I will send a prophet. Really, just going to show how God will respect our decisions. God is a gentleman. God is love in his essence. He will not force himself or his ways onto us. We have to decide by faith to walk in God's ways. When we reject his ways, he will say, okay, even though, The okay doesn't mean that's the best way for us, but he will respect our decision, which is exactly what these verses are teaching us. God respected their decision. God's best was to speak to them directly, face to face. They did not want that. They said, oh, no, 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 we don't want that. Just send somebody. God is like, okay. And as we will learn moving forward, these Israelites would truly not even honor all the prophets that the Lord would send. They would would abuse this prophet, kill some of them. Okay, so I just wanted to bring this to your attention because there are people who would reject God's ways and then God will allow them to have their way and then they would go and make wrong decisions and then they expect God to bless it. No, God is not going to bless it. The fact that you reject God's way Or ways and you choose your own way does not mean that God is going to bless it. It just means that you are, boy, you are opening the door for heartache and pain and suffering. But God loves you. In his grace and and in his mercy, he will be there to help you, to redirect you back to his way if you allow him. Okay. In the context of this discussion here in chapter 18, verse 18 about God sending a prophet, this was also a prophecy about Jesus Christ, the prophet of all prophets, who was rejected by the Israelites. And unfortunately, some Jews are still rejecting Jesus today. And of course, this also pertains to all of the other prophets who were rejected and killed by the Jews. We come here to verse 19. I myself will call to account anyone who does not listen to my words that the prophet speaks in my name. So here we see the Lord saying that, okay, you guys want a prophet. I agree, but I will bring you into judgment if you do not obey the prophet. Because the prophet would only be speaking what I tell them to speak. Powerful. Okay, now in verse 20, it just went on to say, But a prophet who presumes to speak in my name anything I have not commanded, or a prophet who speaks in the name of other gods is to be put to death. Again, the Lord setting strict guidelines or ways to discern a false prophet. We had talked about some of those ways earlier in the preceding chapters. But here we see the Lord reiterating a false prophet is to be put to death. Verse 21 is powerful. You may say to yourselves, how can we know when a message has not been spoken by the Lord? Very excellent point. Which I went over in preceding chapters giving you pointers how to discern a true prophet of the Lord. Here is the Lord's response in verse 22, which was also one of the responses I gave you a few chapters ago. So go back and re-listen. Now coming back here to verse 22. If what a prophet proclaims in the name of the Lord does not take place or come true, that is a message the Lord has not spoken. That prophet has spoken presumptuously. So do not be alarmed. Did you get that? That is self-explanatory, which I also mentioned that if it's a true prophecy, it will come to pass. Okay? It will come to pass. If it is of the Lord, it will come to pass. And remember what I said before. The office of the prophet as described in the Old Testament was fulfilled in Christ Jesus. But today, the gift of prophecy continues. The gift of prophecy is still in operation. Okay? Today, prophecies are meant to edify us, exhort us, reaffirm a revelation that the Lord has already put in in our hearts. But we are still struggling with getting clarity. A true prophet is just supposed to help illuminate God's word or God's words to us so we can have clarity and direction. And a true prophet is really only supposed to point you to Christ. It is not a new revelation. It is not a new revelation. So if someone comes to you and they prophesy something to you that you have never considered, Something that the Lord has not put in your heart or something that is not even in the word of God. Honestly, forget it. That is not of the Lord. Because if it's a true prophecy, it would confirm something that you already have in your heart from the Lord. But you are just struggling with getting clarification or revelation. God in his love and mercy would have someone prophesy that to you so as to confirm it. And God could use anyone. God could flow through any believer to prophesy something to you. As an example about, boy, I want to say easily 12 years ago, I I was still in school. In the computer lab, a gentleman that is a fellow Christian came in there and he was walking alongside me in the computer lab. And we were just talking about the Lord. And just of a sudden, he just said, Dr. Ruth, I see you as a Bible teacher. I see you reaching hundreds of people. Essentially, he just went on to describe my ministry. He just went on to describe my calling. What that guy was doing, he was prophesying to me what the Lord spoke to him. And these were things that the Lord has spoken to my heart. But I was still struggling With my calling, I was still struggling to accept the convictions that the Lord was putting in my heart about my ministry. And when that man said that, I looked at him. He had no clue what was in my heart. He had no clue that the Lord had called me into ministry. When he said that, I walked away thinking, this has to be from the Lord. I have never discussed my spiritual life to this extent with this guy. Why would he say that? Well, I took it to heart. I forgot all about that. Then about eight years later, when I was really operating full-time in ministry, the Lord brought back that prophecy into my remembrance. And I said, oh my goodness, that was a true prophecy from the Lord because it was coming to pass in front of my eyes. And today, the prophecy It's true because I am operating in ministry full-time as a Bible teacher, reaching hundreds of people. I am doing exactly what that guy prophesied to me. You see, so that was a classic example of a true prophecy. He did not reveal to me any new information. He just spoke what I knew in my heart. And he had no clue that I have that in my heart and it came to pass. So I just needed to use that example to provide some clarity. So that brings us to the end of chapter 18 in the book of Deuteronomy. So what are the major principles we have learned from chapters 16 through 18? Principle number one. Celebration of the festivals, we talked about that, how the Lord wants us to celebrate him every day. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Even though the Lord had divinely ordained festivals during the Old Testament time, today we can celebrate the Lord every second, every minute. And God is glorified when we do that. Principle number two, Intolerance for idolatry is highlighted throughout these chapters. I have said that over and over. I don't think there is any need for me to explain further. You get it. Principle number three is the importance of the Word of God. I talked about that, especially how uh, for kings and for leaders to be successful, they have to rely on the Word of God as their primary guide. That is obvious. And principle number four, giving to your ministers, pastors, and priests. Again, that is God's way to feed his workers through the giving of the people. God loves a cheerful giver. So what are the major application here? Discerning, false versus true prophets. I talked about this over and over. So you can go back and release it. And uh, we have to be people who apply godly wisdom. We should not be gullible, foolish, stupid Christians who just believe whatever people tell us in the name of the Lord. Please don't. You need to. <laughs> God says we should use wisdom. So use wisdom, discernment to know who is speaking of the Lord, who is a true leader as unto the Lord or not. You can go back and re I don't need to really emphasize that because I think I did enough delineating or outlining ways to discern a true prophet of the Lord. All right. And also we have seen here in these chapters the heart of God for the poor. All right. God had provisions for the poor in the Old Testament and that is still applicable today. And when we serve the poor, when we give to the poor, we are in essence glorifying God. We are in essence honoring the heart of God. And we have to be careful not to judge people who are poor. We don't know people's circumstances. Our jobs really are to represent Christ and let God deal with people's reasons why they are poor. And most importantly, I just pray that these principles that we have learned here from chapters 16, 17 and 18, you can take them to your heart and discern the relevance and application today because they are still applicable today. So, Father God, we thank you in the name of Jesus. We come to your throne of grace we come to your throne of mercy we thank you for your words that are still guiding and directing us today we thank you for these unchangeable principles that are still very timely today father god give us a heart to care for others give us a heart to be considerate to the needs of others give us a heart to give freely to your work so as to advance your work here on the earth. Teach us, Holy Spirit, how to apply these truths into our lives daily. Teach us how to walk in these truths so we can glorify you. And as we glorify you through our lifestyles, that will attract others into your kingdom. That is your will. We want to do that, but we are unable on our own effort. We rely on your strength, Holy Spirit. Strengthen us today. We thank you for you are such a good God. You are a faithful God. And we believe by faith this prayer is answered. And we have prayed in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. And everybody says, Amen.
0: Today is a day the Lord has made. So rejoice in it as you proceed with the rest of your day. I am Chris Horam. Goodbye.